On that night, you could cut the tension of the room with a knife. We ate our fill of the meal, but something about the meal was not satisfying. The air was thick. For months, tensions were rising with the local political authorities. We knew things were coming to a head, but we didn't know how. We hoped a coronation was coming soon. Our leader, our master, our friend. The crowds finally recognized him just a week before as king, but something didn't feel right. He was sad. Resolve covered his face, and kindness and love could always be read in his eyes, but now he just looked deeply, deeply sad. Matthew 26 says, Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. A simple 34 verses and a few hours later. Verse 69. Now Peter was seating, sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, You were with Jesus in Galilee too. But he denied it. In front of everyone, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear an oath, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This was a dark, dark night in Peter's life. He may have struggled with regret for the rest of his life. He thought he was so much better than this. He thought he was ready to take on the world and stand up with Jesus in the face of danger. But when confronted by a little servant's girl, he broke like a wet paper towel. I imagine that the moment, I, I imagine what the moment would have been like when Peter's eyes met Jesus in the courtyard, which another gospel does record for us, and then that rooster crowed. 
Imagine how desperately he went out and sobbed by himself out in the countryside. We don't know where. Imagine how he felt that there was no way forward from this. My Savior was dead. I walked away from him. What's the point? Could have even considered suicide. Now my question is how did the darkest moment of Peter's life turn into a good Friday? Peter stopped looking at some point here. He had stopped looking at some point in his life at what he had done, at the mistakes he had made, at how he had messed up, and he started looking at what Jesus had done. At some point, that night became less about his failings and more about Jesus. Now, Peter makes several references to Jesus being the fulfillment of the Passover feast in his letter, 1 Peter. It's toward the end of your Bible. And just moments before Jesus had warned Peter that before the rooster crowed three times, Peter would deny him. Just moments before he told the disciples and he had walked with the disciples through the Passover meal. Let's read those words, Matthew 26, verses 17 through 20. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place and my disciples, with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. Now some of you have grown up in church, you've heard the word Passover. Maybe you don't understand all that went on in the Passover. And some of you in here don't really know what the Passover is. You know it's a religious e-term, but you don't know what it was about. The Passover celebration, memorial, had been kept for nearly 14 centuries every year before this time, before Jesus' time. It commemorated a historical event where God delivered the nation of Israel out of slavery to Egypt. The Passover memorial demonstrated how everyone is under the judgment of God. Egypt was under that judgment because they had committed, if you read the scriptures, terrible, horrible sins like slavery, abuse, and even infanticide. But Israel was under the same judgment that same night for their own darkness, for their own rebellion, and for their own sin. This Passover supper was a way to symbolize that even though they were all under that same judgment, God had provided a way for some who would trust his way to be able to be free from that judgment, to give them a path forward. Anyone who wanted that way needed to follow God's way and receive it. And that Passover celebration essentially had three pictures. The first picture of that Passover supper was a lamb. How many of you know a sheep farmer in Iowa? 
No? Okay. I married into a sheep farming family. In an agrarian society, your best lamb was your gold mine. Because if you had a perfect, unblemished lamb, you could take that lamb and breed it with others and hopefully get better and better lambs and sell them for more and more money and have good meat, make more money. It was your most valuable commodity. But in the Passover supper, the lamb had to be the very best from the flock, unblemished. No deformities, no marks. It had to be absolutely perfect. They would butcher, they butchered that lamb the first night and ate it as part of the Passover feast. They roasted it over a fire because that was the quickest way and they needed to be ready to be emancipated from Egypt. They were about to be set free and they needed to be ready to take off out of there. So they roasted it as fast as they could. They didn't boil it or anything like that. They took the blood from that lamb and they put it over the doorpost of the house as a way to demonstrate that although they too, like everyone else, deserved punishment, they believed that God had provided another to take the punishment for their sin. And that other was symbolized by the perfect lamb, a precious lamb. This demonstrated, this Passover lamb demonstrated the sheer value that it takes to forgive sin. The second part of that Passover meal was the unleavened bread. The bread was unleavened to demonstrate, again, Israel's readiness to take off out of Egypt. They didn't have time to let the dough rise for an hour, punch it down, let it rise for another hour, or let it rise overnight. They didn't have time for that. There was no leavening in this. Instead, God wanted them to make it, eat it, and be ready to go at the drop of a hat. That night, that judgment was going to be completed on Egypt. And there would be an opportunity, a window, for the Israelites to be emancipated and flee into the wilderness. If the bread needed leavening, they may not be ready to go. And so in this way, unleavened bread became a physical way to show sinlessness or obedience or readiness to obey God. The third symbol that was eaten or drink, drank at the, uh, at the Passover meal was wine. Now, we live in an age where drinks, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, are plentiful. Coke, Pepsi, all kinds of wines, water, clean, pure water out of a bottle. But in Bible times and in that geographical area, wine was a very important part of the culture. You drank wine because it was sometimes safer to drink than the water in that area. You drank the best wine at moments of key celebration like marriages and, and big celebratory events. There were many warnings in the Bible about drinking too much wine. But wine itself was highly symbolic and very important to everyday life. This wine that they drank at the Passover supper demonstrated the freedom that they have. God would bring them into their own land where they would be able to cultivate their own vines. 
grow their own grapes, make their own wine, and receive the blessings of God directly from him. And so wine became a symbol of the freedom that they had, that they had been given. Now imagine that moment at the Passover feast. They didn't sit on one side of the table, Jesus and the disciples, like you see in the pictures. In fact, they didn't sit up at all. They laid around the table, low on the ground, on one arm, tucked in close to one another. Food spread over a low set table, near in the middle. There was probably some laughter, but the air was thick. Tensions were rising. The political and religious powers were growing increasingly antagonistic. Jesus just came to the capital city of Israel with crowds calling him king. There was a sense of anticipation. What was about to happen? This was the inner circle. Jesus is now the time. I'm sure the disciples were terrified, emboldened, stressed, happy, and so much more. They thought Jesus was about to become the king of all kings, and they thought they would be his inner circle. But unfortunately, they misunderstood his coronation. He would be crowned, but with a crown of thorns. He would be called king, called king but in derision. Romans would be at his feet, but it would be as they lifted him up on a cross in agony. That was what this was going to happen. That was what was going to happen. But they didn't know that yet. So they get done eating the lamb. Maybe they're getting done near the end of dinner. What does Jesus do? Matthew 26, 26 to 28. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread. As they were eating the lamb, Jesus takes the bread, the unleavened bread, broke it, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it, this is my body. Then he took a cup after giving thanks and he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. I wonder what the disciples thought about at that moment. What do you mean your blood poured out for many, Jesus? Is this symbolic? This can't be real. That's not going to happen, right? People were just calling you king. I thought this was the time, Jesus. And shortly after that story, we have Peter betraying Jesus denying Jesus, and then going out to weep bitterly. But I think, given years of reflection, that night, that terrible, horrible, dark night for Peter, became a good Friday as he remembered it. And why is that? Because as he thought back on what Jesus said, he understood more and more about what Jesus had done for him. In First Peter, his epistle he makes several references to this exact thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. This is, the bread is Jesus' body. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Same word, the body word is used there. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. Imagine that for a second. Never a disrespectful thought to his mom and dad. Never an angry thought, sinfully angry thought at his disciples, at the Pharisees. Never lying, never looking at somebody for what he could get out of them, rather than just he was just loving them sincerely, genuinely caring for them. Perfect in every way. His body completely without sin. As he breaks that bread, he's saying, this unleavened bread without sin, full obedience, readiness to obey. This is me, broken for you. Only he knows, only he deserves to know God. Only he deserves the blessing of God. And through his obedience, we are welcomed into that family. The second symbol was that wine. They drank of the wine was Jesus' blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The death of Christ was fully accepted as a payment by God for the sins of anyone who believes in Jesus. That wine symbolized a freedom from bondage, a freedom from slavery. So when Jesus holds out that cup and says, this is my blood, which is shed for you, he's saying, the ultimate Egypt is the sin that's in your heart. The darkness that you live in day by day that darkest moment that you feel enslaved to, my blood can free you from that. He is saying that he received the full punishment for sin. And now we are free. We're free from sin. We're free from guilt. We're free from shame. We're free from judgment. We're free from the sinful patterns of our life. Absolutely free. The death of Jesus was fully accepted by God. And that brings us to that third part. And you might have seen that I didn't read the last part of 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, and that is pointing directly to the Passover lamb. The lamb that they ate that night was Jesus. As Peter reminisced on that night, that first last supper, and the night that Jesus was crucified, that ultimate Passover supper, 14 centuries later, he realized that that lamb that was provided to the Israelites ultimately pointed ahead to someone else, something else that could take God's punishment, force all sin fully, no condemnation left, 
to all those who will come under Jesus' blood. I read one quote just today by Michael Williams that said, Knowing the cure tells you a lot about the gravity of the disease. In the cross we see what was needed to cure the wound of sin. And we see the length that God was willing to go to cure it. We see love beyond all love. Why does, why does Peter call uh, it the precious blood of Jesus? Remember what I said about the lamb? The valuable lamb, the most valuable commodity that any agrarian farmer could have that he had to give up on a yearly basis? It showed the value of one who could forgive for sin. There is nothing more valuable than Jesus. Why do I say that? He gave us what no one else and nothing else could ever give. He gave us freedom, joy, forgiveness, freedom from shame and guilt. And he gave us a relationship with God. He is absolutely worthy of all honor and praise and glory and power. Just as the best lamb was the most valuable possession for the Israelites. And that's what it took to cover sin. So we see that Jesus is the most valuable for all of us. And his death is what it takes to cover my sin and your sin. So when Peter meditated on this night later on, rather than meditating on the face of the little girl who questioned if he was one of Jesus' disciples, rather than meditating on the face of Jesus that peered through the crowd with sorrow after that rooster crowed, Rather than, than focusing on how stupid he was, how proud he was, or how bad that night was, what does he focus on? He meditates on the precious blood of Jesus Christ like that, with, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, more precious than gold or silver that was foreordained to be shed on the behalf of anyone who will believe in him, and that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's why that night became a good Friday for Peter. Now maybe, maybe you have had a dark night recently. Maybe you've had one of the darkest moments of your life recently. Or maybe you've just had a lot of little dark moments. Moments of regret, moments of shame, patterns of sin, regret for the things that you've done and the pain you've caused other, regret for the way you know you really are and how that's different from the person you try to project you are. You're filled with regret and sorrow and sadness. How do you find light in the middle of that dark moment? How can that dark day become a good day? How can you find a good day again? Turn your eyes off your failings. Turn your eyes off those regrets. And turn your eyes on Jesus. He did that night what you could never do. He absorbed in God's condemnation for your sin on that night what you never wanted to absorb. He gives you freedom. He gives you um, 
a joy instead of shame and guilt. He gives you forgiveness and love, and he gives you security in a relationship with God. That's why he's precious. And that's why this is a good Friday. Let's pray. Just quiet your heart right now for a moment and think about the blood of your precious Savior. Father, I am thankful that you gave us Jesus, that Jesus absorbed the punishment for my sin, and that Jesus' work was sufficient to absorb the punishment for the sin of anyone tonight who believes here in this room, here in Des Moines, here in Iowa, here in the world. All who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, His work is sufficient to cover their sin. What a precious promise that is. Father, I know that there are people who are hurting here tonight. In a room this size, there's bound to be people filled, filled with regret, filled with sorrow for the things that they've done. Some maybe have believed in Jesus already, and yet they're living in regret. And some here who don't know of this saving power, the forgiveness that they can have through the blood of Jesus Christ, and they don't know, they don't know it yet. I ask tonight that they would turn, everyone in here would turn their eyes to Jesus. Turn their eyes off their failings, confess their sins, and receive the finished work of Jesus completely covering all of their sins, past, present, and future. They would be confident in the work of Jesus Christ for their salvation. That they would turn their lives to you and find freedom, freedom from sin, freedom to obey. I ask that you would be at work in, in, in these people's lives. We pray and ask this in your precious name. Amen.